If I could get away with it, I would have us sing how sweet and awesome every Sunday. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, why were we made to be a guest when thousands perish in their sin? Oh Lord, we thank You for the grace of our Lord Jesus. We thank You for the unconditional and undeserved love of our Lord Jesus. We thank You for the full atonement of our Lord Jesus. We thank You for the salvation that is complete in Him. As we consider this passage from the Gospel of John and as we uh, through this passage consider the whole message of the Gospel of John. I pray that Your Spirit would be poured out. Father, I pray that every heart would be drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ. That uh, they would believe in Him, trust in Him. That they would believe that He is the Christ the Messiah, the Savior that was sent to die on the cross for sinners' sins, that they might have life through His name. I pray in His name. Amen. I have a question for you. How many of Jesus' miracles does John record in his Gospel? You might be surprised to learn that John only records seven miracles in the entirety of the Gospel of John. Only seven. But we know that he did many more. In fact, he surely performed many miracles that were not recorded in any of the Gospels. Why would the glorious miracles of Jesus be allowed to go unrecorded for the succeeding generations of Christians? Wouldn't you like to know about all the miracles of Jesus? Wouldn't you like to hear about all the glorious expressions of His grace and His glory? So why does he? Why do many of the of the miracles go unrecorded? Well, John gives us the answer in our text. Uh, we just read it. It bears reading again. Now Jesus did many other signs. There it is. He did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written for the purpose or so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in His name. In other words, what John's telling us is he only recorded that which would be most helpful to you for you to believe in Jesus as He is revealed in the Scriptures. Namely, He is revealed in the Scriptures as the Christ, the Son of God. That's the whole design and purpose of John's Gospel. That we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we may have life in His name. John did not write his Gospel with the mere goal of imparting knowledge about Jesus Christ. 
His Gospel is not a biography. In fact, none of the four Gospels presents us with a complete life of Christ. They write with a higher purpose. They write with a purpose that we would cast all our faith into Jesus Christ. That we would trust Jesus Christ as our, our Lord and our Savior. They did not write the Gospels to gratify our curiosity as we uh, read the Gospels. They didn't even seek to gratify all our curiosity about Jesus and the miracles He performed. It's interesting as you go through the Gospel of John and the fact that He, performed, uh, that he records so few of Jesus' miracles and so few of the other things that other Gospel writers do include. For instance, um, John completely omits the fact that he was one of the select disciples at Jesus' transfiguration. That would have been very interesting to hear John's perspective on the transfiguration. And John was selected as part of the small company to, a, to, a, to accompany Jesus at His transfiguration. But John doesn't mention it. He ignores it completely. He judged it essentially, according to our passage this morning, to be out, outside His design for writing His Gospel. Everything that John wrote in his Gospel had a single aim, single focus, a single design, and that design was that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. If you don't get that message this morning, I pray for your soul because God has not yet opened your eyes to receive the Gospel. He's not yet opened your heart to receive Jesus Christ. And of course, when I speak of John's purpose in writing the Gospel, I'm also speaking of God's purpose. The Holy Spirit was moving in John to design His Gospel. Uh, the Holy Spirit was moving in John to write His Gospel just as God designed. Every word that John wrote was exactly what God intended. And with that in mind, what I want to do is I want to give a quick review of John's Gospel. And in so doing, call you to faith and trust in Jesus Christ that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. So my reasoning this morning is John says, that he did not write this he wrote this book for us to believe in Jesus and so i think it bears uh, our consideration to go back and review some of the ways that um, john uh, is urging upon us faith in Jesus Christ so John begins his Gospel, chapter 1, verses 1 and following, by pointing to the glory of Jesus Christ. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus came into the world. He came even to His own people, uh, chapter 1 tells us, but they rejected Him completely. Jesus is present with us right now as uh, the Holy Spirit is working through His Word. We have an audience with the King of the universe. Jesus Christ is here present with us by His Spirit. The question for you is, will you be like the people of God that were living in Judah when Jesus came to His own and His own rejected Him? Were you rejecting? Will you reject him while you are sitting here in his presence? Can you imagine the judgment that will come upon you if you reject the Lord Jesus Christ right in his presence? Also, in chapter one, we meet John the Baptist, who came as a forerunner to the Lord Jesus Christ to announce his coming. He called the people of Judah to follow the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. Do you realize how displeasing your sin is to God? That He would have to to send His Son, Jesus Christ, as a sacrificial lamb to take your sins, to send Him to the cross, to set Him under, as we were talking with the children, under the wrath and curse of God? That's the... That is the reason Jesus came here to earth. To take our sins. To be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We deserve that punishment. But He came and He took it. Have you ever considered just how far your sins separate you from God that He would have to send His Son to atone for your sins? Have you considered the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that He would come and take your sins upon Himself? He who knew no sin became sin for us. He came as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. In chapter 2, Jesus performed His first miracle. He transformed the water into wine at the wedding feast. He was teaching a twofold lesson. First, he was saying very clearly, I am the Son of God. He was pointing to his divine identity uh, when he transformed that water into wine. Secondly, he was teaching that salvation is a real transformation. Just as he was able to transform the water into wine, so he is able to transform you who are a follower of the ruler of the power of the air, as we read in Ephesians chapter 2, into a child of the living God. Are you willing to live and die in your sins when Jesus Christ offers you a transformed existence in Him? Are you willing to die as a child of wrath, when in Jesus Christ you can be a dearly loved uh, child of God. 
Later in chapter 2, Jesus went into Jerusalem and He performed many miracles. John doesn't record any of those miracles. The whole city was overcome with excitement concerning Jesus. Yet we read that Jesus did not entrust Himself to them because He knew all people. And He needed no one to bear witness about man, for He Himself knew what was in a man. Have you ever considered just how deceptive sin is inside you? And just how wicked we are outside Jesus Christ? Jesus, even though these people were following Him around and saying, you're the Messiah, He would not entrust Himself to them because He knew their hearts. They were self-deceived. Sin completely deceives. Are you willing to agree with Jesus' assessment of you? His moral assessment of or his assessment of your moral disposition and flee to him for help and for salvation. In chapter three we meet Nicodemus. He was a member of the ruling uh, the Jewish ruling council. <clears throat> this passage was especially included in God, in John's gospel for those of you who trust in your religious affiliation and your good works. Here's Nicodemus, a ruler in the Jewish council. No higher man except for the high priest and maybe a couple of others than Nicodemus. If anyone could trust in their religious affiliation, it would be Nicodemus. You know what Jesus said to Nicodemus? He says, your religious affiliation, your religious background counts for nothing. He said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And of course, from this conversation with, uh, between Nicodemus and Jesus, we have the, the famous passage in John 3.16 and 17. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Have you availed yourself of this good news? That God so loved the world that He sent His Son to die for it. In chapter 4, Chapter 4 was written for those who might feel very far away from God. For those who have a hard time believing that God would love even them. In chapter 4, Jesus encounters a Samaritan woman at the well. She was a despised Samaritan. By She was despised by the Jews. The Jews looked on dis, with disdain on all the Samaritans. The Jews considered the Samaritans a mixed race to be shunned. But Jesus did not shun her. Jesus approached her. Although she had been married and divorced several times, and she was living with a man who was not her husband, Jesus saved her soul and made her a child of God. If you have a hard time believing that God would love even you, Read John chapter 4. And then to add to the glory of Jesus' grace, 
to the outcast, Jesus saved nearly the whole village that she was living in. And then at the end of chapter 4, John creates a contrast. Jesus went to this despised Samaritan, this outcast. And at the end of John chapter 4, there was a town official in the, in the town of Capernaum. His son was gravely ill. Probably no greater man in the city. He was the city official. Jesus loves not only the poor and the outcast, but also the rich and the powerful who humble themselves in order that they might trust in Jesus. He healed this powerful official son who was gravely ill. And then in another contrast, in chapter 5, Jesus not only saved the outcast in chapter 4 and the powerful in chapter 4, He also helped a man so helpless that He sat year after year by a pool called Bethesda hoping that He could be healed by His paralysis. This paralytic did not call upon Jesus. He was completely helpless, didn't even know who Jesus was when Jesus approached him. Such is the overflowing grace of our Lord Jesus Christ towards sinners. Because none of us would ever turn toward the Lord Jesus if He did not first turn toward us. None of us would ever pursue Him if He first did not pursue us. No one can come to the Father unless the Father draws Him. If you've not called upon the Lord Jesus Christ yourself, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of the words. If I could, if I could say the right thing to, to create faith in you, I'm unable. But God is able. And if you've never called upon Him, call upon Him now and ask Him for grace. Ask Him for faith. Ask Him to save your soul. What are you waiting for if you've never done so? Your refusal to do so if you have never done so speaks volumes about the hardness of your heart. It should cause you to quake with fear at how hard your heart is if you've never called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is gracious. The Gospel of John was written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. Chapter 6 is the account of Jesus feeding the 5,000 with only five small barley loaves and two small fish. Jesus used this incident to test the disciples and the measure of their faith. The disciples failed miserably, but He continued to love them. And so I want to encourage you, if you struggle with your faith, remember Jesus' love for His disciples. Because in spite of themselves, He kept loving them and never gave up on them. John chapter 6 is also a testing of sorts for the 5,000 that Jesus fed. He fed them because of His great compassion for them. But they managed to miss His compassion completely because they were so carried away with His miracle. They saw in, in Jesus a king that would keep their bellies full. 
And that's all they saw in Jesus. They saw Him as God's bellhop to, uh, to serve them. They followed Jesus for several miles after He fed them. They followed Him around the Sea of Galilee. And when they caught up with Jesus, they wanted Him to feed them again. They wanted Him to do some more miracles. But instead, what Jesus did was He offered Himself to them. Miracles are chump chains. He offered Himself. He offered Himself to them in the most intimate of terms. He essentially was saying the six barley loaves, they're only temporal. But I'm the bread of life, He said in John chapter 6. He said that He was better than any six barley loaves, better than any two fish. He was better even than the manna that the Israelites ate while they were in the desert. He told them, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, talking about himself, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. He went on to tell them, as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And what He is offering to them is faith in Him. He is saying, trust in Me. Don't simply trust in the miracles I can do. But come to Me. Love Me. Submit to Me. Trust with all your heart. And that's the that's the, the the sense of him telling them to feed upon him as the bread of life. As the manna kept the Israelites alive in the desert, he's saying he was the bread of life that will give them true life, who will give them eternal life. Have you come to Jesus Christ as the bread of life? Have you feasted upon him by faith? The crowds recoiled against him. They turned away. Nearly all 5,000 fled from Him. They told Jesus to get lost. Again, as you are confronted with the unbelief of these crowds who uh, ate the five, who ate the, uh, the five loaves and the two fish, as you're confronted with their unbelief, I want to ask you again, What is your relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you seeking Him with only a self-centered desire for blessing? That is a mistaken faith. That is an unreal faith. That's a false faith. It won't stand up on the day of judgment. A true faith, a real faith, is also a relationship with Jesus Christ. It is so real that it can be... um, it can be termed being feasting on Him. So is your faith simply a set of doctrinal facts? Or is it an affectionate, warm, dear relationship with Jesus Christ? In chapter 7, Jesus went to Jerusalem for one of the religious feasts. <clears throat> and as He started teaching, the entire city was stirred up. And the question on everybody's minds was, Is Jesus really the Messiah? 
Is He the Christ? Some in the crowd believed, but many others rejected Him. They were so incensed at His teaching that at one point they had decided to arrest Him. But for fear of the crowds, they decided to wait. This is really the question that's confronting us this morning. Is Jesus the Christ? Is Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? Is Jesus the Son of God? Do you believe that? If so, you must respond. You must trust in Him. You must believe Him. You must flee to Him, submit to Him. It doesn't matter if you have rejected Him for years. Come to Him now. It doesn't matter if you have made a good start with Him, but have fallen back in your faith. Seek Him now. It doesn't matter if you've been indifferent to Him your whole life. Do business with Him now. It doesn't matter if you've gotten yourself all tangled up in sin and addicted to certain sins. Turn to Him now. Now, I imagine some of you are doing the math in your head right about now and you're saying, well, the pastor's only finishing up chapter 7, not even in chapter 8, and there's 21 chapters in John. We won't get out of here until after 1 p.m. Well, let me just say this to, to relieve your hearts. I'm finished with the survey of John. I simply wanted to take John's point in uh, our text this morning where he said, I wrote these things that you may believe in His name and illustrate some of the ways that He, is, that he has done this. I want to give one practical application and that is, well actually two, pra- two practical applications. Uh, one, if you're not in the habit of reading the Scriptures, um, John is a great place to start. If you need to build the habit of reading the Scriptures, you may want to go to Genesis, and that may be tempting. But let me just say, go to John. 21 chapters. Try and read a chapter each day. Two chapters, three chapters each day. And when you read it and finish it, start back over. Because Jesus included John's Gospel in the Scriptures that by believing in Him, our faith would grow. This is one of the ways that you can grow in your faith. Reading the Gospel of John. Also, if you have an unbelieving neighbor, an unbelieving co-worker, an unbelieving relative, and you want to read something with, uh, with them to help them understand the Christian faith, there's nothing better than the Word of God. And John says he wrote his Gospel that by 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 um, that he's written these things so that we may believe in Je- that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. It's just this is a great text to read with someone else. I've got a little set of booklets if you're ever interested that have some leading questions that uh, just help. Uh, as you read through to to ask some of the questions that God uh, wants the reader to ask. And I can give those to you if you're ever interested. I'm finished with the survey of John, but I want to point out one last thing. And that is 
the responses to Jesus. The first response to Jesus and the last response to Jesus. In John chapter 1, Andrew met Jesus. So the next day he went out and found his brother Peter. And he said to Peter, we have found the Messiah. In other words, Andrew responded to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the last response, we saw it last week, John chapter 20, verse 28, Doubting Thomas, when Jesus appeared to him, he exclaimed, My Lord and my God. These responses are meant to urge you on to respond to the Lord Jesus Christ. No matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, respond to the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not leave here today, whether believer or unbeliever, without responding to Him in trust, in submission, and in love. And I'm going to end with this final exhortation from Charles Spurgeon. As he was talking about faith, he said, I would recommend you either believe God up to the hilt or else not believe at all. Believe this book of God, every letter of it, or else reject it. There is no logical standing place between the two. Be satisfied with nothing less than a faith that swims in the deeps of divine revelation. A faith that paddles along the edge of the water is poor faith at best. It is little better than a dry land faith. It is not good for much. In other words, when you respond to Jesus, don't make it a lukewarm response. Come to Him. Respond to Him. Give yourself to Him because He has given Himself for you. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, it is striking all the ways, and we've just skimmed the surface, but all the ways that You call us to faith here in this Gospel of John. Father, I pray that there would be none here who somehow or some way leave this sanctuary this morning without entrusting themselves to Jesus Christ, that by believing they may have life in His name. I pray in His name. Amen.